Section 15 of The Spring Song by Forrest Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 Danger Light thickens, and the crow makes wing to the rookie wood. Good things of day begin to droop and drowse. Shakespeare Jim once more dipped his finger into the pot and then proceeded to suck it luxuriously. I say, you might leave just a little, Palmer remonstrated. Of course, if you're very keen on it, it was a brownish, extremely unattractive-looking preparation of a treacly nature, which Palmer had compounded with the intention of smearing the trunks of the trees after dark to entrap moths for his collection. Jim protested virtuously. I've hardly touched it. You needn't be so rottenly selfish. He returned to his stamp album, whose leaves presented that richly glossy appearance which is imparted by an over-liberal use of gum. I wonder if the bats could give me some stamps. They must have lots in the house. The old captain must have sent letters from all kinds of countries. I don't think you'd better ask, said Griff. I expect his grandson got any there were. They might tell me I could have his collection. If I asked, remarked Jim thoughtfully. They wouldn't. They keep all his things. They're all together in the room he used to have. But you don't even know that he collected stamps. And at any rate, there isn't any harm in trying. If I were you, I would go up to the church tomorrow afternoon and ask Mr. Bradley for some, said Palmer ironically. He's sure to have a lot. Tomorrow's Sunday, Jim objected. Oh, that won't matter with such a friendly old chap. The reason he got angry with you, said Griff, was because you frightened him. I did it too, the first time I went. Palmer nodded. He's very easily frightened. There's something queer about him altogether. Griff frowned a little. He did not like his friends to be criticized. I don't see how it's your business, even if there is, he said. There are some things that are everybody's business, returned Palmer, wisely. What things? Oh, all kinds of things. He thinks Bradley must have done something wrong, Edward interposed. He hasn't, said Griff. And even if he had, it wouldn't be any business of Palmer's. You don't think Mr. Bradley is a burglar, do you, Palmer? Asked Anne in thrilled tones. For more than ever, now she was willing to take Palmer's opinion upon any subject that happened to crop up. Palmer seemed annoyed. I don't know what he is, he answered shortly. I only said there was something queer about him. What are the letters he's always expecting, and which never come? And why does he want to go at night and play on the organ? It must be because he can't sleep. And if he can't sleep, it may be because there is something on his mind to keep him awake. I think it's rotten to talk like that, Griff burst out indignantly. And I think all that sort of prying about and asking questions is rotten too. You may call it being a detective, but I don't like it, and I don't believe any decent boy would do it. Such an explosion, coming from such a quarter, was so unusual that everybody stared. Palmer colored, and Griff instantly became filled with contrition. I'm sorry, Palmer, he said quickly. I know you're not like that, only why can't you leave him alone? I shouldn't tell, even if I did find out, said Palmer, coldly. That is, unless he was dangerous. And I believe he is, he added with a sudden change of tone. I don't see why otherwise he should have wanted to hurt me today. And he did want to. 
pretty badly. If you'd just seen his eyes. I never saw anyone look like that before. Jim and Anne, it's bedtime. Aunt Caroline stood upon the threshold, surveying the assembly. Griff, I think you had better go too. In fact, we'll all be going soon, for I'm sure nobody got much sleep last night. Undressing by candlelight, Griff that evening for the first time regretted that he was not in the room with the other boys. For the first time, he remembered what Aunt Caroline had told him about his sleeping quarters being so far away from those of the rest of the household. It was true he had Pouncer with him, but he should have liked somebody else as well, though nothing would have induced him to confess this, or ask to be moved. He felt a strange depression, a sort of shadow on his mind. The loneliness and the darkness weighed upon him, and the sound of the wind in the trees was unfriendly and forbidding. He was in a mood when everything turns to gloom, and when the sense of proportion is temporarily obliterated. He was sorry he had offended Palmer, not knowing that that curious boy had already found solace in an envious appreciation of the methods of Dr. John Thorndyke. He magnified the offense till it was driven from his memory by vaguer and more ominous broodings. The physical lassitude which had been with him all day had turned at last to a kind of mental distemper. He had left his candle burning on a table by the bed, but the draught from the window bent and bowed the flame, causing it to throw black shadows on the wallpaper, and in this way bringing back to him, in a distorted and more terrible form, much of what Mr. Bradley had said that afternoon. The vague, fantastic danger Mr. Bradley had spoken of became a real danger. It was curious how much more meaning seemed to have come into the organist's words now that Griff was alone with them in the silence of the sleeping house. He felt very tired. A heaviness of sleep weighed upon his eyes and on his brain, but a superstitious dread of what might happen should he lose consciousness kept him awake and alert. He listened for the sound of the flute, but the idea of hearing it had lost all beauty for him now, and he only listened because he could not help doing so. In his weariness, as he sat up against the propped pillows, his head would begin to nod, and then, just as he was dropping off, his fear would reawaken him. Every now and again his eyes slewed round, like the eyes of a frightened dog, towards the looking-glass as if it, too, possessed a fatal fascination. At length he blew out his candle, but when he glanced round again, he found he could still see the polished, reflecting surface of the glass, and he buried his face under the bedclothes. The night was warm, with an oppressive, sultry stillness, and in a little while he became bathed in perspiration and was obliged once more to put his head out on the pillow. Then he got up, and turned the looking-glass towards the wall. At last, through his sheer exhaustion, he fell asleep, and his sleep grew deeper and deeper, though, from his tossed limbs and restless movements, it might have been gathered that it brought him little peace. Outside on the landing, a clock struck, and Griff stirred uneasily. It was perhaps some twenty minutes later, when he sat up in bed, noiselessly, Yet, without hesitation, the slight, pallid figure threw back the sheet and coverlet, and got out onto the floor. He went with wide, yet sightless eyes, straight to the door, and turned the handle. Soundlessly, he stole downstairs, though not alone, 
for Pouncer was following him. Pouncer quite awake, and not understanding in the least the reason for this nocturnal ramble. Griff unlocked and unchained the hall door and went out, Pouncer still following closely on his heels. And just in time, for Griff pulled the door behind him and the latch clicked. He walked across the grass in the moonlight. The troubled look had left his face, and he even smiled a little. The sound of a fitful wind that had arisen washed through his dreams, like the tide of an enchanted sea. And the sound was once more beautiful, and seemed to lead him on and on. He passed the croquet lawn, and moved down the wooded slope towards the road. The long wet grass reached above his ankles and he seemed to be guided by an invisible hand as he threaded his way between the trees, while he listened to the song of the night. Swift in the light of the stars comes our darling, our sweet. White on the dark green grass, white are his feet. Under the wrinkled old moon, see, he pauses and stands. Dew on his dark, dim hair. Dew on his hands. Moonlight and starlight fall, Soft on his lifted face. Lord of this kingdom of leaves, Prince of this place, Sing to our little prince, Our angel, our lovely boy, Pipe with a silver flute, A hymn of joy, To welcome him into his kingdom, Of fountain and grove and lawn, Pipe till the stars grow dim in the light of dawn. Prince Griff and his orange pouncer, that truest and dearest friend. But hush, the birds are awaking. Our song must end. Suddenly his foot struck against the root of a tree, and he stumbled forward and awoke. He scrambled out of the bushes into which he had fallen, while a cloud of pale moths fluttered about him. For a moment or two, the shock drove the blood thundering to his ears, and everything wheeled round and round in a dizzy circle. Then terror gripped him. Where was he? Who had brought him here? He gave a cry, and something tugged at the jacket of his pajamas, while a warm, heavy body leaned against him, and a warm tongue passed over his hands. It was Pouncer, and in his relief, Griff dropped down on his knees and hugged him while the bulldog licked his face and neck. He knew now that he must have walked in his sleep. He was living still, and this was the solid old earth beneath him. But for one brief, terrible moment, he had imagined he was dead. The dew penetrated through his light flannel clothing, and he felt it cold and pleasant on his burning skin. He heard the cry of a bird he had frightened in falling. He saw the pale moth settling down once more in the shadow of the bushes. He hurried back through the trees till, beyond the croquet lawn, he saw the house standing square and white and strange, that sleeping house out of which he had wandered. The freshness of dawn was in the air. When he came up to the porch, he found the door shut, and he knew that his adventure was not yet over. He walked round the house, for he thought he might perhaps have come out through a window. But all the windows on the ground floor were shuttered and latched. He would have to ring and awaken somebody. Then another plan occurred to him, and he gathered a handful of gravel from the drive, and stepping back from the porch, threw in a small stone at the boy's bedroom window. 
He threw a second and a third, listening between each, till at last he heard a movement. Directly afterwards, a head and shoulders leaned over the sill, and Griff whispered eagerly, Don't make a noise. It's me, Griff. I've been shut out. Come down and let me in. The head was withdrawn, and Griff entered the porch. In a moment or two, the door was softly opened. Griff slipped inside, followed by Pouncer, while Palmer, a lighted candle in his hand, asked, How on earth did you get out there? What have you been doing? I thought at first there was one of those chaps from the circus come back. I walked in my sleep. Keep very quiet going upstairs. I don't want anybody to know. They crept up like mice, Palmer following Griff to his room. There he put down the lighted candle on the dressing table, and he himself sat down on the side of the bed to consider this curious exploit. Griff had been rummaging in a drawer in search of a clean sleeping suit, and he now began to change. I'm wet through, he said. It's the dew. I was in the long grass, and it was soaking wet. But how did you get there? I walked in my sleep. I've done it often before, though not lately. Not for more than a year. Are the others awake? Edward and Jim, no. I was wakened because a stone hit me on the head. Griff slid down between the bedclothes, while Palmer, with wrinkled forehead, still gazed at him, as if uncertain what he should do next. Are you all right? he asked doubtfully. Are you sure I shouldn't fetch Miss Annesley or Miss Johnson? I mean, aren't you to get something to drink? Brandy or something? How long were you out? I don't know. Not very long. I'll be all right, thanks. I was frightened a little when I first woke up, because I didn't know where I was. But as soon as I saw Pouncer, I knew. There was a silence till Griff added. I'm awfully sorry, Palmer. Sorry? What about? You couldn't help it, could you? Oh, I don't mean about this. But for being so beastly this evening, what I said to you. Oh, that. I'd forgotten what you said, answered Palmer, truthfully. I don't think it was fair to me, of course. I mean, I really do think there's something wrong about Bradley. For one thing, I know he's not here under his own name. Bradley is only a part of his name. I found that out this afternoon. His real name is Tennant. I haven't told anybody else, and he doesn't know I know. I'm telling you in confidence. All right. And will you keep it a secret about my having walked in my sleep? Palmer considered. No, I won't, he said. I'm going to tell Miss Annesley in the morning, and I'm going to stay with you myself tonight. But, Griff cried in astonishment and indignation. Palmer patted him on the shoulder. Don't get in a bait. It's not that I want to tell, but that I must. It's too dangerous. You might just as easily have gone out by the window as by the door. And if you had, you wouldn't be talking to me now. I wouldn't have been killed, said Griff stubbornly. It's not very high. Besides, there's grass below. You'd have been badly hurt anyway, and you might have been killed. You might have fallen on your head. But I won't do it again. I told you, I hadn't for more than a year, and the doctor at home said I had outgrown it. Well, you see you haven't. I'm not going to risk it, Griff. There's no use arguing. Of course, if you let me nail up your window tomorrow so that it will only open a few inches, and let me lock your door from the outside every night, I dare say that might do. But if I do that, it will be seen at once, so it will all come to the same in the end. I hate having my door locked from the outside. Something must be done. Griff was silent. Do you think it would be a dreadful thing to die, Palmer? He asked suddenly. The question was not of a kind Palmer was accustomed to, but he was always ready to discuss a problem. I think it would be dreadful to die in a stupid sort of way like that. 
I think it's all right running risks for some purpose, and I'd run them myself fast enough. But this has no purpose. It's simply waste. But suppose there was something you couldn't avoid. Some, some kind of danger hanging over you. Suppose there was somebody who wanted you to die. I'd find out who it was. And if I could manage it, I'd jolly well see that he died first. Suppose it was somebody you couldn't get at. Somebody you couldn't kill. If he could kill me, I could kill him. Just depends on who's cleverest. Professor Moriarty was trying for Sherlock Holmes all the time, but he didn't get him. It wasn't Sherlock who went down the precipice. But... Griff paused. Then he said, Suppose you couldn't kill him because he was already dead. Palmer's lips closed tightly. I don't like that kind of thing, he said. It's all rot anyway. I only said it, Griff protested feebly. He didn't only say it. Somebody's been putting notions into your head, and I know pretty well who it is. He relapsed into silence for a long time, while Griff watched him with varied feelings, and watched the flickering candle that was growing paler and paler in the broadening daylight. One of these feelings was a desire to break the promise he had made yesterday afternoon to Mr. Bradley. He felt extraordinarily weak and helpless, and Palmer, sitting solidly beside him, seemed, though there was but two years and a few months between them, the embodiment of all that was strong and sane. At last Palmer turned and looked straight into his eyes. Will you answer one question if I put it? I don't know. You've made promises, of course. The boy who tried to raise the devil got the kids to make promises. People of that sort always do. Was it Mr. Bradley who put this idea into your head? What idea? said Griff faintly. Palmer continued to look at him, his small, clear brown eyes holding Griff's dark, frightened ones. Doesn't matter, he said with a curious gentleness. You needn't break your word. For I know it was. And what's more, I know now, I think I know, why he is here, why he came here. Suddenly he flushed. To rotten shame, I'll jolly soon have him fired out of this. You, you mustn't do anything, Griff whispered. It's awfully good of you, Palmer. I mean, you're awfully decent talking to me this way, but you mustn't. His voice broke a little, and he bit on his lower lip to keep himself from crying. Palmer again patted him on the shoulder. Whatever I may do, you won't be in it, so you needn't worry, and I'm not going to make a fuss or anything like that. Do you know that if I posted a certain letter tonight, you would never see your friend again? At least I believe that. I'm almost convinced of it. But I'm going to get more solid proof before I do anything. His expression changed, and a smile came, first in his eyes and then spreading to his mouth. Are you aware that the sun is shining? You're a nice chap keeping me talking here at this hour. I'll go and get my pillow. He yawned and got up. But Griff put out his hand and still held him. Don't go for a minute. I don't understand what you mean. You're quite wrong. I like Mr. Bradley very much. He has always been very decent to me. And you mustn't say anything to him or do anything. Of course, I know you're making it up. But he relaxed his hold and his hand dropped back on the bed. His face was very white and Palmer, gazing down at him, saw sweat break out on his forehead. What's the matter? he asked, beginning to be frightened. Griff made an effort. I don't feel very well, Palmer. In the morning, if you would tell, if you would send 
but the sentence was never finished, for Griff had fainted. End of section 15